As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, I'm joined by a man who knows more than a little bit about the United States men's national team. It's Bobby Warshaw. Bobby, thanks for coming on the show. How are you? Joe, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, and it's great to be here on what's well, some good news, some exciting news around Total Soccer Show, which is really which is great to hear. Yeah, and Bobby's not talking about the U.S. men's roster release that we had earlier this week. As we look forward to El Salvador, he's talking about the birth of Taylor Rockwell and Margaret Rockwell's baby, Revri Nahir Rockwell. You guys, seriously, congratulations. If you're listening to this, I kind of hope you're not. You've got a few other better things to do. Regardless, congratulations, you guys. So many people, including myself, are just so happy to hear about Revri and that both mom and baby are doing really well. Joe, I wanted us to text Taylor and ask him for his like most excited voice because it truly is a spectacular, excited voice. Uh, so we could put it into the show. But I figured it'd be best not to bother him today. But in the future, I, <laughs> I, I really hope and assume we'll get that magical Taylor excitement. I think we can make that happen in the future. But yeah, I think you made the right call not, not texting him today. Um, on today's episode, we're going to really dissect the United States men's national team roster that Greg Berhalter put out there earlier this week. I mean, a, a press officer put it out there, but you get the idea. For that El Salvador game on December 9th, that's a week from today as we're recording this episode right now. Before we do that, though, Bobby, I wanted to do the show with you because you look at soccer in such an interesting way, and you've covered the United States men's national team in the past for MLSsoccer.com, but right now you're not working for MLSsoccer.com. You're working for 21st Club, and so I wanted mm-hmm. to, to get your perspective on what you're doing right now. I'm guessing a lot of people are curious about that. So what are you doing, and what does 21st Club do? Yeah, Joe, first, I just want to say, man, I had to cover, I covered it for the two and a half years that had to be the least fun two and a half years. <laughs> yep. Trying to do a post-game show in the middle of 2019 about this team was was challenging at times. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little frustrated that I'm missing the good parts and that I'm not going to get to talk about the team after every game now. Yeah, 21st Club. Um, we do, I would kind of describe it like this, that just creating a good mid to long-term strategy is hard in anything. 
and to figure out how to implement data into that, how to use data well when building and executing your strategy is really hard. And that's where we work in the sports world. So that means a lot of strategy and recruitment with clubs and leagues. That means a lot of mergers and acquisitions, helping investors find the right clubs, do due diligence on a club, uh, execute a plan once they buy the club or all the, the types of things we do. And it's been great. You know, I miss media. I miss MLS in the office there, but I've been really enjoying this job. Do you wear fancy suits now? Is that what I'm hearing? Only on the top, of course, because who needs pants <laughs> okay. these days, you know? Good point. Good point. I appreciate your, your dedication to staying comfy, or at least half of you staying comfy. Looking at this roster that we got, again, unveiled earlier this week, we've got a wide variety of players, mostly younger players, a lot of Olympics-eligible players that Jason Christ is almost certainly going to be looking at. But maybe, to me, more interesting than the fact that it is such a young roster, and we'll get to names in just a minute, there are a bunch of dual nationals in this group, eight of them to be exact, including but not limited to David Ochoa, Julian Araujo, Efra Alvarez, Ayo Akinola, Daryl DK. I mean, there are more than those guys than I just listed. This isn't a cap tying game for most of those dual nationals because it's not being played in an official FIFA window. But if we set that aside for a moment, Greg Berhalter's got to get some credit for player recruitment at this point, right? Uh, wow, we're going straight to that can of worms, huh? You want to straightforward, though? Yeah, especially with where he was at before uh, getting so derided for the inability to recruit, which I thought, like anything else, was probably overblown at the time. Uh, but yeah, what they have done, what they have done is great. I, I don't know if it's as much as them. They've clearly done done something different, but it's also just the the world changing and soccer changing in all of these countries. You know, in the American soccer dialogue. We often think that these things are unique to us, but this is happening across the world. As the world is globalized, which I'm sure is something we'll talk about more on the show, there's just generally more people with dual nationalities or nations or national teams going after more players of dual nationalities. So a lot of countries are having these conversations. A lot of countries are working through them. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see the U.S. Uh, pull some of these players in now. For the people at home who are playing Bobby Warshaw Bingo, American Soccer Dialogue has been used five minutes into the show. Go ahead and mark your space now. No, I, I agree with you. I think we are seeing more and more dual nationals become prominent figures in the landscape right now. And so not only do I personally think that Berhalter and the rest of U.S. soccer is doing a, a good job or at least a better job than past iterations of the Federation, they're doing a decent job, but there are also just more of those players out there now that we're talking about. I mean, you've got Sergio Dest, you've got Yunus Musa, and then those eight guys on this roster. And it's a roster that's still evolving as we get closer and closer to December 9th. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. And I want to give Berhalter credit when, when I think he deserves it because he does get a lot of derision for a lot of different things. And it's nice to be positive sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as we, as we look forward into this roster, the game is against El Salvador. They're not a heavy-hitting CONCACAF opponent, and they're probably not going to give the U.S. a lot of trouble on the field. But I think, I think we can still learn a lot about the players that Greg Berhalter brought in for this game, both from the names on the roster and what we see on the field. And we'll have a review of that game out on Total Soccer Show next week. But for now, as we look to that roster that is still evolving, we're probably still going to see names added into it. I want to start and go through position group by position group. And then at the very end, have you and I give our preferred starting 11s for this game. Bobby, does that all sound okay with you? And if it does, are you good to start with the goalkeeper position? That sounds good. Yeah, let's do goalkeepers. Okay, so there are three goalkeepers on this roster. Two younger guys, CJ Dos Santos, who's 20, and David Ochoa, who's 19. And then there's the veteran, Bill Hamid from DC United. 
I'm going to be honest. I don't know a lot about how to watch a goalkeeper or what to look for in a goalkeeper. And I don't really know what Berhalter, besides some basic things, what he wants in his goalkeeper. And so that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to start asking you, Bobby. What do you think Greg Berhalter looks at when he looks at a goalkeeper? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the first thing, and this is, uh, you know, probably everyone would say at this point, and certainly Berhalter is no different. I shouldn't say everyone would say it, but the basic thing is the ability with the feet. If you're going to try and pass and play the way Berhalter wants to, you need a goalkeeper who can not just be your outlet and, and give you an option to play back through, but also has an ability to play certain types of passes, most specifically into the second layer, or probably depending on the opponent, into the depth. And by that pass, I think people can imagine the 70-yard Ederson ball. Because if you want to build out of the back the way Burhalter wants to, it is all dependent on your ability to keep the opposition's back three or four honest with that potential ball over the depth. And I think what people forgot a little bit during the, the conversation about how, how pass or build out of the back centric Burhalter was is he's not wedded to that. That's the base level of the foundation he builds with teams. And if you remember his old crew teams, and I distinctly remember uh, when they played Friedel's Revolution, the first like eight times Stefan got the ball, he pounded it straight behind the, the crew back four. Because um, if your goalkeeper can play that ball, you can start to do other things. So specifically, the ability to play out of the back, but that that ball, Joe. I watched film of CJ Dos Santos and David Ochoa and Bill Hamid with their feet. So I've got a few things. But from what you know of these guys, the younger guys and then the veteran in Bill Hamid, do those three goalkeepers fit the bill for Berhalter? Or is this just because it's a domestic-based roster for a domestic-based game? We're not having guys travel because of COVID and because it's a non-FIFA window. Are these players just brought in to fill the spot. Yeah, I think it's probably that one. I mean, it's not, it's unfair to say to fill the spot because they're all talented players and certainly Hamid has had a a very good career. So I don't want to say that they're just filling the spot, but I would be surprised if they fit the profile of what Berhalter was looking for. But Joe, if I, uh, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions, but one of which is tell me something or anything about CJ Dos Santos. I can tell you a couple different things. Number one, he has no caps for the United States. He has no first team appearances with Benfica in the Portuguese first division either. He struggled to break in there. I watched a little bit of him on the ball, and it looks like he has pretty average foot skills, which 20 years ago probably would have been good foot skills. But he doesn't wow me necessarily with his ability to distribute from the back. I don't know if he can hit the passes that that need to be the baseline passes for a contributing an offensively contributing goalkeeper in the modern game. But I, I'm almost wondering if he's in this camp because this means he's moving on from Benfica and he's going to become a major league soccer player. But I mean, outside of those things, I don't have any groundbreaking revelations about his particular game. Okay. So then to go back to the original question, another thing that I think a, a Burhalter, or again, most coaches at this point are looking for is just the ability to play off your line when the Germans would call this space defending or room defending. When your team is defending higher, higher up the field, can you play off your line? And this is probably the newer type play that he does with Germany. But if you want to press, and as, 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 we've, as I already mentioned, when you're playing against team pressing you, you have to have the, the, the threat of the ball into the depth behind the opposing back line, which means if you are that defending team, you need a goalkeeper who can protect that. Or not need, because it's so hard, but is, it is an advantage if you are comfortable uh, defending in the space like that. Um, and then the third part, not to talk too long about goalkeepers, because, you know, goalkeepers... Is I do think I do think against a team like like El Salvador uh, or just in Concacaf in general, you probably need to be a little bit more commanding off your line. So the ability to come off your line 
whether it's crosses or breakaways on the counter is probably more important than just general shot stopping. He's the guy that we haven't talked about as much in this group of three, but it's David Ochoa. And I think he might be the player who can do those last two things really the best of these three, or at least he has the potential to do the the space defending. What was it called? Rom, rom defending? How did you, how room did you defending. say it? I don't know. I, I, who knows how it's supposed to be, but it's room defending, <laughs> as it was explained to me. Okay, uh, so... That ability to dominate the space before the ball gets to that space, effectively. I think David Ochoa can do that. Not just because I've seen him play with uh, the Real Monarchs and USL and one start. He only got one start this entire season over Zach McMath for Freddie Juarez, which is kind of insane to me. But from what I've seen of David Ochoa and from what uh, I've read about his personality, he's got the mentality and the willingness and that little bit of crazy in him to want to step off his line to command his box defensively, Mm -hmm. but also when the U.S. and maybe this is the U.S. U-20s because, again, he's only 19 years old. He's eligible to play another cycle with the U-20s if we get those games. He can step out of his box and defend that space, I think, more confidently than C.J. Dos Santos and more confidently even than Bill Hamid right now. So though I don't really think we're going to see him in this game against El Salvador and more on that when we go through our lineups later, he's a guy to watch, at least for RSL going forward. Yeah, he's he is one of the higher prospect uh, goalkeepers in the pipeline. I'm, I'm with you on that. Bobby, moving on to the defensive group. We've got eight different guys right now. We're not getting right now Brian Reynolds in this camp. He's with FC Dallas, who just lost to the Seattle Sounders in the MLS Cup playoffs. I'm guessing, I don't know anything, but I'm guessing he'll be brought into this group. But setting him aside for a moment, it's Julian Araujo, a 19-year-old right back for the LA Galaxy. Kyle Duncan, right back for the New York Red Bulls. Sam Vines and Marco Farfan from the Rapids and the Portland Timbers, respectively, at left back. Aaron Long, Walker Zimmerman, Mark McKenzie, and Mauricio Pineda at center back. Those are the four guys that Berhalter has brought in for depth in that spot. When you look at this defensive group, what do you see besides a bunch of pretty young players and then a couple of veterans? You know, I still, uh, it's a, it's an interesting question because I do still think that, well, A, before I get too complicated, it's exciting <laughs> to have the potential and obviously really just the ability already at outside back. You know, something. We, how many times have we talked about this, about the U.S. men's national team as fans, as analysts, uh, how that was the weak spot, um, especially at left back throughout the year. So to see all these players who can play in that spot and what feels like at a high level, and I know we've said that so many times in the past, right? Like how many times have we tricked ourselves into thinking that a player is about to take off? But once again, here we are. It's pretty exciting to see the options at left back. At center back, I feel like we've gone through a generation where a lot of the center backs we produced, I think since Tim Ream, were very similar. Miazga, and I say we produced, right? It, it's it's a complicated concept at this point, but came through the American soccer development system. But, you know, Miazga, Long, Zimmerman, Miles Robinson are all very similar players. And Mark McKenzie is the first center back, along with Chris Richards, but in this group, Mark McKenzie is the first one who breaks that mold who is a little bit more composed, a little bit more tranquil, certainly a better passer in his different types of passes he can make. Uh, So those are my my two main observations when I look at these defensive options. It's interesting that you zero in on the center back spot because I think a lot of people at this point know I love center backs who can pass the ball confidently or dribble forward confidently and create overloads in midfield in different ways that a lot of center backs in the past really weren't able to do. That's your new who. How does it feel to have that? Uh, it feels good. I'm not sure I want to go full Sam Stage School in terms of the online branding. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's good. And I'm honored to have my own personal new who. When I look at these guys on the roster, less so with Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman, although 
MLS Defender of the Year, Walker Zimmerman, had a great year for Nashville SC and can pass the ball. And he's almost a box-to-box center back. But looking at the younger guys on this squad, it's Mark McKenzie and Mauricio Pineda. And when you throw in Chris Richards there, who's not with this group because he's over in Europe, when you look at those two players, McKenzie and Pineda specifically, I see two modern center backs. I see two guys who aren't afraid to go forward with the ball. And that encourages me because it makes me think that the development pathway or the way that we're developing center backs right now as the American soccer community of developers is improving. And we are now getting closer and closer to making more well-rounded, offensively aggressive center backs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the counter to that is that everyone is producing players like everyone in the world is producing center backs who are more like this because that's just the way the game has changed. But you're right. It's certainly it's nice to know that we are along that trend and we're fitting with. Uh, who knows if they're better, but they're certainly more aligned with what's happening elsewhere. Yeah. And before we look at the outside back spots, I want to talk about Aaron Long for a second, because at this point we saw when Berhalter came in, Aaron Long was one of the guys at center back. He was constantly in that lineup. He was captain at times. I mean, this guy was a fixture of the back line. Has that has that need gone away? Is Aaron Long now more of a situational center back where he comes in maybe to clean up some stuff defensively against a high quality opponent or against he comes into the lineup against an El Salvador type team where you're not needing where you're not needing those offensive contributions. Is the Aaron Long era coming to a close? Well, uh, so you're you're telling me, I guess I guess it's fair to say he's not in your starting lineup for this game. I mean, I guess that, that, that creates the premise that he isn't the starter if you play Mexico tomorrow. Well, I mean, I think I think from what I pose the question to you, Aaron Long would probably still be an option against Mexico because the U.S. needs him at times against higher powered attacks. But as these younger center backs develop, I'm wondering if he's as as important to this back line as he's been in the past. Is he as important as he's been? That's really interesting because I wouldn't have said he was ever that important. I thought he was the starter, but I never thought that he was a critical part. But I think what you're implying is that there's more competition for his spot right now, which feels right. But what he still has more than anybody else is that he is still the best at reading transit defensive transition moments. And if you think about the way the U.S. is going to play a lot of the, you know, will play a lot of their games against an El Salvador or like we saw against Panama last week, two weeks ago, was that defensive transitions are important and Long is good at reading them. He's extremely athletic. He's good at winning his duels. So I'm actually not sure that his standing in the team has changed. My guess is he's still the presumed starter next to John Anthony Brooks, depending on how whether it's two or three in the back. But I guess my answer to you is no, Joe, that not his status has not changed at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As we move over to the right side of the back line, I'm fascinated. And I, I do mean that. That's not hyperbole. I kind of am fascinated by Julian Araujo and his potential fit with the national team because I don't think he's best in the Serginho Dest mold. He's not a, 
a get high and wide right back where in Berhalter's offensive system, which we've seen change and evolve over the last year, almost two years now, he's not able to really occupy that high wide right channel that Serginho Dest occupied against Wales or Reggie Cannon occupied against Panama. That's not Julian Araujo's game. I think he's better deeper where he can defend in those transition moments like you're talking about with Aaron Long. Do you think Berhalter would let him do that and essentially just be Daniel Lovitz, but on the right side, tucking in and becoming a part of that back three? Is the system flexible enough to allow that? So what did you evaluate when you watched the Galaxy play and he played right wing, if not most of the games, enough, a lot of games? That didn't give you a sense that he could actually play higher as a more adventurous right-sided defender? He can. I mean, I can if you really want me to, but you've seen me play pickup and that shouldn't happen, right? Julian Araujo played a right attacking midfielder for the for Guillermo Barcelotto this season, but I don't think that means he should play there. He's not a creative offensive player. He's not someone who I would want to rely on for a steady offensive output on the right side of the attack. That's not to say he's a bad player. He's not. He's mm-hmm. good at a lot of things. But to answer your question, because Barcelotto played him there, no, that does not mean I think he should play there. Interesting. It's almost a little bit like perhaps it feels like you're implying it might be an Aaron Juan Basaka situation. A very good lockdown defender uh, has the appetite to defend, the skills to defend, reads the game well. And if you give him that role early, maybe as he gets older, he develops the other parts of his game. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason he can't continue to develop. He's a super young guy. He's another one of the players who's eligible for the next U20 mm-hmm. cycle. I'm not saying he doesn't have a future. I'm just wondering right now, as he does become a bigger and bigger part of the senior team picture, I think he's better and his skills can be better utilized deeper on the field. And that makes me wonder if Berhalter is prepared to tweak his positional alignment, not necessarily the shape, but which players are going where, if he's willing to tweak that to accommodate a player who doesn't fit his his initial mold for what a right back should look like. Okay, I'm all right with that idea. How about over on over on the left side then? What's your what part are you most interested about the with the left back situation? I think it's interesting because the left backs are 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 more of what I think Berhalter wants from a left back. At least looking at the Anthony Robinson type. We've got Sam Vines at left back, the youngster for the Colorado Rapids, and Marco Farfan, another more more youthful player for the Portland Timbers. Farfan's not really starting for the Timbers right now. I think it's interesting that he's in this camp at all. But Sam Vines for me fits that left back position really really well he's a good defender he was a almost a defensive specialist two years ago and then this past season with the rapids he developed his offensive game a little bit more and started improving his ability to bend balls into the box or to to play a striker dropping in from that defensive line dropping in deeper into the midfield and bending a pass on the floor to that number nine sam vines to me is almost a plug and play into the anthony robinson Sergio dest left back that we saw in the november camp yeah, Sam Vines has been somebody that went under the radar in 2019 for all the conversation that goes on about young Americans was very good. I mean, was in that top echelon of MLS teenage Americans. It's hard being a left back and it's hard being in Colorado for those types of conversations. But he's been good for a couple years and he's a, the, the exact type of player. And I think a little bit like Justin Morrow, like what more can you do as a major league soccer player to push your game to the next level? Justin Morrow was so good for so long. And maybe it has hit a ceiling because he wasn't, he didn't take his, he didn't go to the next level in Europe or with a team. So he didn't get to push himself or we didn't get to see what's next. And I think the same with Sam Vines, that the most likely scenario is he turns out to be an eight to 10 year good left back in Major League Soccer like Justin Morrow. 
But it'd be really interesting to see if he can go to Europe, whatever that means, how good he could get. Because I think you and I, Joe, we've talked about this separately, think he could end up being very good. He's a he's a very talented young player. He shut down Carlos Vela in MLS last season when Carlos Vela was at the height of his powers. He shut Vela down 1v1 when the Rapids played LAFC. That's what he can do defensively. And having a player who can provide that defensive solidity and some offensive upside at left back, a position where the U.S. has struggled for so long, that is, that's pretty appealing to me. Uh, that's especially after watching Anthony Robinson maybe not have his best game for the U.S. back in November. Before we move on to the midfielders, Bobby, I want to throw out three quick names and, and maybe get your feedback on mm-hmm. them. Number one is Brian Reynolds. Not on this roster right now. I really do think he's going to be added into this group, but he's a guy who's playing right now for FC Dallas and is very, very fast, very, very good on the ball, able to whip in crosses from almost anywhere in the final third. He's a guy I'm very high on, and I'll let you talk about him in mm-hmm. just one second. Two other guys who are actually on the roster, Kyle Duncan, right back, Marco Farfan, left back. I don't think we're going to see either one of them in this game. I think they're in to provide that competition in camp, and if they perform well, we could see them, but I don't think they're at the top of the depth chart, even for a camp like this. Yeah, that feels right. And I would just, I, I totally share your excitement about your excitement about Reynolds. Sometimes you see a player touch the ball for the, sometimes it doesn't excite you. Sometimes it really excites you. Brian Reynolds is one of those players who, uh, you know, had been signed to Dallas for what, two years and never played. And that first time he played this year, I remember watching that first game and thinking, this is going to be awesome. You know, a lot of the times it turns flat. But he is definitely a player uh, that's exciting to watch. He's Alfonso Davies level fast. Well, I mean, come on, come on, come on. That's not come heretical on. to say. Come on. Are you are you not with me on that? Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. There's a reason somebody's Alf- Alfonso Davies fast, and that's because nobody else is that fast. Yeah, he is quick. I'll say that much. And we can we can argue about the semantics of that later on. Moving on to central midfield. We have an interesting group of players that's lacking uh Someone key, who I think is coming to this group, and that's Jackson Yule. He's not currently on the roster, but Baralta has said that he will be joining the group. So I'm going to pretend like he is. I like how you just, I like you're just adding players to the roster. Like, you're, Greg, don't worry. I got this. I know, <laughs> I know what's happening, Greg. I'm just filling the gaps for Berhalter. I don't really know what else you want me to do, Bobby. We've got Jackson Yule, who will be coming into this roster from the San Jose Earthquakes. I'm quite confident in that. Andres Perea for Orlando City, 20 year old. He replaced Frankie Amaya in this roster after Amaya tested positive for COVID. So it's Yule, Perea, Sebastian Legette, who is the veteran of this group, Cole Bassett, Kellen Acosta, and Brendan Aronson. With this group of players, Bobby, and because mm-hmm. I am throwing Jackson Yule into this mix, even as a, a presumed starter or a potential option to start at that number six spot, how do you want to see Baralter use the six against El Salvador? Because he's done it in a few different ways so far. Wow, I thought we were saving, I thought we were building this whole show into what people really want, which was a lineup at the end, and you're just going to have me give away a key piece of my puzzle? You can save whatever pieces of that little puzzle piece for later. I just want a taste of it right now. Okay, well, I would say that I would not set up this team for the El Salvador game with a defensive midfielder. And the way the other pieces fit together makes that defensive midfielder a little bit redundant. I like that. And we're going to we're going to let that sit for a minute because we'll get back to that later. Looking at other spots in this midfield, specifically the number eight spots, because if we think about how Burhalter has set up this team mostly in the past, it's been some some variation of a three, two, two, three or a two, three, two, three, where there's lots of guys forward in the attack. But specifically, there's almost always two more attacking minded central midfielders in that group. 
in this list of players, I think Sebastian Lingette is an option to play there. I think Kellen Acosta is an option. I think Aronson is an option. And Cole Bassett as well, maybe less so with Perea, who can't play in this game anyway, because he'd have to file a one-time switch from Columbia. Looking at those guys, how helpful is it to have a Sebastian Lejet who knows the system come into this camp and help some of the younger guys get up to speed? Joe, we all have our people. I'm like, Lejet's one of my people. I'm, I'm a Lejet <laughs> truther. I really like him as a player. Uh, when you... Darlington Nagby gets gets talked about a lot, and for good reason. Darlington Nagby is a generational player for the t- for the way he plays and the types of things he can do. And number two on that list, I would put Sebastian Legette. And maybe a difference or an advantage for Legette is that he is a little bit more commanding with his personality. And as a coach, maybe you want that, maybe you don't. I would. I, I love that Legette is not just comfortable on the ball, but wants the ball, demands the ball, wants to take it in tough spots. Uh, he hasn't been able to show it because his Galaxy teams have not been very good the last few years. Uh, the, the the national games he's played in has not been in the right situations for him. But he is a guy that can really facilitate the game and get your team into flow with it. He's not going to be the number nine in this camp like he, he moonlighted as against Wales back in November. He's going to play almost certainly as one of those more attacking-minded midfielders. To, re, to re-ask my question, because I want to tap into your experience here, is having someone who knows what they're doing on the field, even in training, is having a guy like that helpful to younger players or is that almost unnecessary because the coaches are there to teach? No, it's definitely useful, especially in this short time frame. And for especially for, I think, the way Burhalter thinks about it or a lot of coaches think about it now is, Joe, I'll go back to the point you said about the six, right? And maybe Burhalter uses that line, but I, I would guess, largely know, that he thinks about it a little bit more in roles, that – not that we have a six, but we need somebody to A, provide the first option either behind the line or in front of the line for the center backs to pass to. And we need somebody to be in the right spots in defensive transition or the right spots to defend these certain zones. Um, so without a Jackson Euler designated six, it just comes down to whoever the other center midfielders are to make sure that those roles are taken. Um, so with that type of fluidity or the, these type of uh, multi-decision point roles at any moment, it, it undoubtedly helps to have somebody who is more familiar with it because it's hard, right? Do I do I ask for the ball on the other side of the defender or do I get it in the gap so that we can bypass lines? What are the situations I should do that? Should I run behind here or should I stay wide and provide the the width stretching? So all of those those things are hard to decide if you haven't been there And to have someone who has dealt with those not only allows the game to go faster, but of course can help his teammates as well. I want to look at another option at that number eight spot or in that attacking midfield role where there's responsibilities to provide some creativity in the attack and to move to break the back line at times. One of the players who I think best fits that mold or the mold of one of the attacking spots, at least, is Brendan Aronson. MLS best 11 pick this year in Major League Soccer. What do you want to see from Brendan Aronson in this camp as he gets ready to move over and hang out with Jesse Marsh in Salzburg? Yeah, the big thing about Aronson right now is his ability to create goals. And this is something that I'm bad at looking at and evaluating a player, but I understand that it's important. And I think for all players, for all attack-oriented players, whether that's a striker, a winger, an attacking midfielder, you know, a late-running, deeper midfielder, uh, you need to be able to create goals. That is what wins games. That is what drives transfer value. And Brendan Aronson does a lot of things really well, but his ability to turn good football into goals hasn't always been there. Um, and it's what you would expect, right? It's something that young players usually develop, 
but uh, specifically his ball striking, whether that's a ball, you already talked about the Sam Vines pass to strikers behind the defenders, whether it's a, whether it's a, a, a shot, his ball striking in those crucial moments uh, is something that I'll keep looking out for as he develops. Do you think that's going to improve a lot at Salzburg or a little bit, or, or it's going to be something that's less dependent on his environment and more dependent on his own personal development? God, it's such a fascinating question, Joe, because I think you and I talked about this. Did you end up reading the book MVP Machine? I did not. So it's a book about baseball, but the whole premise of it is that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the money ball revolution comes and the inefficiency to exploit is in recruitment. How do you use on-base percentage to find better players? And then all of a sudden, everyone hires 20 PhD, you know, physicists, PhDs who can do data analysis. So what's the next inefficiency? And it's in player development, right? You find players that you can improve. And this is all to say, if you had asked me this, Joe, five years ago in soccer, I thought ball striking once you're over the age of like 18 was, was something you could not fix. But as the world, the sports world figures out that player development is an inefficiency. And I think in soccer, the ability to help players with their ball striking is an inefficiency you can exploit and improve. Players get better. And I think that Christian Pulisic, Christian Pulisic is a great example. Not a good ball striker 12 months ago but clearly worked on it um, and now can take different types of shots as a little cleaner with his uh, when he gets the shot off. So I do think it's something that that Aronson can improve or will improve as he gets to Salzburg. I'm going to have to read that book. I like how I like how you're giving me a, a good start to my book list for 2021. I'm guessing that there are a lot of folks out there who aren't super familiar with a couple of the names in this midfield group. Kellen Acosta is a guy who I think most people will probably have heard of. You got sent home from Berhalter's very first camp the January camp in 2019. Now he's back in with this group after a couple of seasons with Colorado. But I want to zoom in on some of his, or one of his teammates, and then another Major League Soccer guy, teammate Cole Bassett with the Rapids, and then also Andres Perea. Do you want to do you want to spotlight one of those guys and I'll do the other? Or how do you want to break down these two guys? I will do Bass. First, I just want to say for Kellen, if you would ask me, I love Kellen, Kellen as a player. I still think he is one of the, if not the most all-around talented American player in this pool. Maybe beside, you know, Pulisic or the Adams or those players, but in this MLS domestic group. So God, I'm I'm still hoping and, and believing that he's going to take his game to the next gear. Uh, but I'll talk Bassett because if you had asked me when I was at MLS 12 months ago, which of those domestic teenagers was the best? I already talked about Sam Vines as undervalued. I actually probably would have taken Bassett as the asset I would have bet on to have the best career. Uh, so comfortable with the ball coming to his feet, specifically just fantastic at thinking ahead, checking his shoulders, always having an idea before he gets it. I would like him to be a little bit more explosive, right? I think for attackers or center midfielders, it helps to have that, have, you know, power in your legs, which he hasn't shown yet, but he might still, but just so comfortable with the ball coming into his feet and a great problem solver. I like that a lot. That take that you would have had a couple years ago looks pretty good now because I watched a lot of Cole Bassett this season for, the Rapids and for Robin Frazier. And he's a guy who contributed to a lot of goals, but more than that, does a lot of the little things right on mm -hmm. the field, checking his shoulder, smooth passes with both feet. He's a guy who I like a lot. I will say though, I, Kellen Acosta would have been my answer two years ago. Fair, fair. <laughs> if I could put all my chips on the table, I would have bet all of it and my brother my brother's chips on Kellen. <laughs> but, you know. I'm glad you didn't do that because then you would have had no chips left, basically. Looking at Andres Perea, who's the guy you left me, he just turned 20. He plays for Orlando City, and he is a dual national, one of those eight that Berhalter called out in a recent press conference. He was born in Tampa. 
but spent most of his youth and upbringing in Colombia and played at multiple Youth World Cups for them. Most recently, he started all five games for Colombia at the U-20 World Cup. So he can't play in this game for the U.S. without filing a one-time switch, but he's, he's not going to do that before next Wednesday. So looking at his game and looking at what I've seen from him with Orlando City, he's raw. He's very raw, but he's also very athletic and technically skilled in some interesting ways that I didn't expect. He's right-footed. He can pick out a pass as long as he has a little bit of space. He's He's really clever with the ball sometimes in tight spaces, but he also makes those mistakes that you'd expect from a younger player. But defensively, I think is where he brings the most upside. He's athletic. He can cover a lot of ground, and he's quick with his first few steps of defensive pressure. Again, we're not going to see him in this game, but someone to keep an eye on for the U.S. men's national team fan base going forward for sure. Nice description. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Moving us forward on to the forward group, we've got six guys currently in this group and, and maybe Jesus Ferreira who might come in later from FC Dallas. It's Paul Ariola, Georgi Mihailovic, Chris Mueller, Efrain Alvarez, and then the two number nines, Daryl DK and Ayo Akinola. Bobby, where do you want to start in this group? Because we've got a few different ways we could go here. I just want to know, is, does Greg let you send the texts? 
or does he text and then you get to congratulate them? <laughs> No, uh, no, he lets me send the text. I just send it straight over to Jesus and assume that he's going to be in this group down in Florida. Yeah. Love that. And has that been reported that they're likely to, or you're just assuming that that was a... Uh, I'm just assuming that that's the case because... Right. Even better. Even because, better. yeah, no, better to make blind assumptions on a large soccer podcast than to not. Honestly, that's generally my philosophy. Content, man. No, but I, <laughs> I mean, it sounds right. I don't think you're wrong. I just, I, I wasn't sure if I had missed news in the last little bit. No, I was checking. And it's possible that by the time we're done recording this, that that news will have dropped. But but as of now, Bobby, we're on the same page. Okay. Jesus Ferreira is just a probable guy. So where do you, where do you want to go with this group? Yeah. Well, uh, then I'll start talking about Chris Mueller because one of my, my favorite players in Major League Soccer uh, has the swag that I think the swagger that I think we were missing from that spot, rather you call it a striker or the winger. Um, you know, even it, it felt like we didn't have a player that wanted the ball to run at somebody one V one Pulisic can do it very well, of course, and, and does have a little bit of that, but it feels like Chris Mueller even takes that to the next level. Not that he's better at other at, at Pulisic arena, but he just has this swagger that he is the best player on the field at all times, and it's extremely refreshing to watch. And players don't watch Major League Soccer. Um, he's good on the ball. He's not necessarily a trickster, but he's fairly direct. He wants to get it. He wants to go and find goals. Uh, he's got a decent amount of power, although not necessarily overly explosive. Um, and he's just okay around goal, but has gotten better with his proficiency in and around goal. So I would say Mueller is the player in this group that I'm most excited to see in the national team jersey. Chris Mueller, Georgie Mihailovic, and even Efra Alvarez, who we'll talk about in just a minute. All three of those guys, I think, fit so seamlessly into the the narrow winger thing that Baralter's done so often in the past. We saw it in November against Wales and against mm-hmm. Panama. It was Giorena tucking inside. It was Ulianas tucking inside. Conrad de la Fuente tucking inside and letting the fullbacks be the width. When I look at Chris Mueller for Oscar Pereja and Orlando City, that's all he does. He moves inside, really, really far inside, to play as almost a right-sided number 10, so Juan can burst down the right side, because Juan is fast. Not Alfonso Davies or Brian Reynolds fast, mind you, but he's he's fast. So you get you get Chris Mueller coming inside. Georgie Mihailovic is not a winger, but he's listed as a forward on this roster because I think Beralter wants him to do that same thing. And the same thing goes for Efra Alvarez. He's an attacking midfielder. Really, all of those guys are. But I think they fit that mold that Beralter has established, that positional profile, that role of occupying the half spaces, the channels just outside the middle channel, of occupying those spaces so that they can play off the nine, work with the central midfielders, and allow the fullbacks, at least most of the time, to overlap. Well, Joe, that's a perfect transition, too, because the role of those two players is hugely dependent on the center striker up there. And with Jesus Ferreira, God, a lifetime ago, playing that spot, and then Legette playing it, uh, last month, that was a person that came back but brought center backs with him to then create options for deeper runs into the depth. And Gio Reyna didn't do a great job of it against Wales. But it seems like that's not, it, it seems like Berhalter is going to go back to the more traditional mold with either DK or Akinola as a traditional number nine with the players underneath him. Yeah, I agree. Berhalter said recently, uh, talking about Daryl DK, he said, We'd use the forward in a different way if he if, if DK's on the field because he's such a physical presence. And I think that goes for Akinola too, even though they play that number nine spot differently. With the number nine staying higher, I think that requires the Chris Mueller directness. That requires someone as well willing to burst in behind with the nine, but also players who are capable of occupying the spaces underneath the nine. 
Because if it's if it's Jesus Ferreira back in February, or if it's Sebastian Legette dropping in, the first requirement of those wingers or anyone playing in the middle of the field has got to be line-breaking runs in behind, at least in mm-hmm. my view. But with a yeah. DK, with an Akinola who want to, in their own way, exploit space on their own behind or at least near the back line, you also need those attacking midfielders like Georgi Mihailovic, like Efra Alvarez, who can't play in this game. Those types of players to play off of the nine and be the creative attacking guys in in that pocket underneath the center striker. Yeah. What level? I haven't determined this. I mean, I certainly am on group chats with people at MLS so far and anybody that follows people at MLS know where they stand on this. Tell me where I should, my my hype level should be for Daryl DK. I think it should be at a seven. I feel okay. like that's I feel like that's measured enough to be sane, but also excited enough to be genuinely a little bit joyful and giddy that we might see him next week because I'm not at a 10. I'm not at a five. DK's upside is really high. That's why he's not a five or below. But -hmm. right now he's still super, super raw. He's he's Mm -hmm. still trying to figure out how to move and how to do all sorts of things. And I'm sure you've watched him. So you know this stuff. Mm -hmm. But for listeners, he's he's a big dude. He's like 6'2", 220. He's a linebacker playing center forward. And that brings a lot of benefits, but it also brings some challenges. And DK's trying to figure out how to make that number nine role for Orlando City this past season in his rookie year in Major League Soccer. And now with the national team, he's going to have to figure out how to make that role his own. Yeah, that's fair. I think seven seven feels like a good estimate. And again, he's a player who it felt like he couldn't have done more this year in his rookie year in Orlando. And with those players, it's always just great to see them in a more challenging setting and whether they're up for it. And it's true about all of these guys, but it feels like DK is the one that is the most exciting in this moment. I think we've beaten around the bush enough at this point. The big story from this position group, this forward position group, and maybe even the whole roster is Efra Alvarez. I asked Meg Linehan yesterday. I, I think so. And, and for okay. the purposes of this question, at least he's going to be. I asked Meg Linehan yesterday about what makes Katarina Macario such a promising youngster for the women's national team. But for you, Bobby, even if you disagree with the premise of the question what makes Efra Alvarez such a hot commodity? Because he's been in the Mexico youth system, he's been in the United States youth system, and now he's in a senior team camp for the U.S. for the first time. Well, I don't know. Hold on. What's, what's the comparison to Katarina? Just just getting these players to play for the national team? Promising youngsters of, of different backgrounds that are in this group now, at least in contention okay. to play for senior teams. I get, I get what you're saying. God, Katarina is, I guess I'm a little biased with the Sanford connection, but she's <laughs> um, Efra Alvarez, um, does things or has things that you can't teach. And I think that this is hard to articulate unless you've you've been around these players or tried to coach these players. Because in your mind, as a coach, you have an idea of how your team is supposed to play. And all you can do as a coach is to, is to put your team in high probability situations, wherever that is in the field. And then at some point, you need players to be able to execute. And it's really hard to teach that final part, right? It's really hard to teach someone how to beat someone, someone how to play a certain type of pass, understand the weight, to see the the decision to make. And when you have a player like that, especially when you can see it like 14, like you could with Efra, that's something really special. And he clearly has other weaknesses to his game at this point that he's trying to develop. But I can't remember seeing a player in the American pipeline. This includes everyone who gets all the, all the conversation over in Europe who had, at such a young age is so has those those skills that you can't teach in such quantities. Efra's left foot to add to that and, and to kind of fit into what you're saying. Efra's left foot from a young age 
has been and is right now unreal. The things he can do to bend the ball, either on a shot, on a cross, on a through ball into the box, the technical ability that he has with his left foot and his developing right foot is elite level, at least within the U.S. player pool, probably within the Mexican player pool as well. The flair, the things that he has that he can't, that, that you can't teach players, like you're saying, Bobby, he has so many of those different abilities. And I think that's why there's so much buzz, at least on social media, about him accepting this call-up. He can't play in this game. We're not going to see him play in this game. All of that stuff aside, he's a talented player and a, a player who could be a difference maker for the U.S. if that's what he decides is the right thing for him going forward. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. I've got one question on one player yeah. in this group we haven't talked about before we go build our lineups, the things that people have been waiting okay. for. Am I the only one who thinks Paul Areola should be a right back? Because, man, I think he should be a right back, not a Do you forward. know anything about me, Joe? Have we ever had a co- conversation <laughs> about football before? Come on, man. Everyone should be a right back. Uh, <laughs> That's why I yeah, asked I, you, Bobby, because I knew you'd agree with me. Yeah, absolutely. He should be a right back. I would also say he should be a uh, active attacking central midfielder, like higher center midfielder, or a destructive striker. All I would play him in all of those spots before I would play him at winger. Paul Areola is just the American Latif blessing. That's that's basically what you're saying here. That's a really good way to put it. Well, maybe you do. I mean, I I can tell you just to tease the lineups. I have an unexpected name at right back that is not Areola, but I will definitely allow you to put Areola there, even though he's listed as a forward. I'm not going to do that, but I like that you've given me the permission to do so because it is a little bit tempting. Let's do it. Let's get into our lineups, starting at the back, moving forward in goal. I've got Bill Hamid just because... It seems yeah. like that's the most realistic option, and I want this to be at least somewhat based in reality. Okay. Who do you have, Bobby? Right. Well, let's do I'm actually going to rephrase this. So why don't you tell me how you plan on winning this game or what matters to you to give the big picture that, of what you're building toward, and then you give me the whole lineup. Okay, that sounds fine. I'm looking in this game to see young United States men's national team players who are probably not all going to be in the senior team picture immediately. They're more likely to be participants with the U23s in Olympic qualifying, and hopefully if the Olympics happens in the Olympics, I'm looking to get chances to evaluate those players and see how they fit in within the rough framework of what we know Berhalter's system to be. So with that in mind, I I also don't think El Salvador is going to be particularly hard to beat. And so I'm prioritizing player evaluation and how they fit within the grand tactical structure over, you know, doing everything to win this game by 22 goals. So in the back, I've got Bill Hamid because I think that's something that Berhalter would do over David Ochoa, over CJ Dos Santos. Center backs, I've got Walker Zimmerman as my right-sided center back and Mark McKenzie on the left. Then right back, I have Julian Araujo and left back, I have Sam Vines. In midfield, it's Jackson Ewell as that number six, Cole Bassett and Sebastian Legette. And then up top, I've got Brendan Aronson on the right side, Georgie Mihailovic on the left side and Daryl DK as that number nine. Wait, you're not starting Chris Mueller? I'm not starting Chris Mueller. He's, he's got swag, Bobby, and I'm hoping that he's in your lineup. But no, I do not have Chris Mueller in mine. Oh my goodness. Why, uh, why Mihailovic over Mueller? So I've got Mihailovic because I think he brings things that Chris Mueller just doesn't necessarily bring. He's got a little bit more skill on the ball. He's got more technical ability in tight spaces. And when I've got Sam Vines overlapping on the left side as my left back, and I think he's really well suited to do that job, when I've got Sam Vines occupying that left channel, I want Georgi Mihailovic tucking inside and combining and doing all sorts of nice technical things with Daryl DK or with Sebastian Legette as my left-sided central midfielder. I want those combinations, and I think Chris Mueller's better breaking in beyond the back line, but I've already got Daryl DK pinning 
the opposition back and Brendan Aronson making runs on the opposite side. So that's why I don't have Chris Mueller in my group. Okay. Who in your group is the most important to the, uh, to, to everyone else's success that if they play above average, it will make everyone else look better. It's interesting because it's someone who you already talked about a little bit in my head. It's Sebastian Legette. He's a guy who knows the midfield position. He knows actually a lot of the roles on the field for this team right now. If Sebastian Legette in my central midfield is firing on all cylinders, is playing up to his ability, I've got Jackson Yule probably dropping in between the center backs or sitting in front of those two center backs and playing balls forward into the attack to Vines or to Aronson out on that right side. I want I want Yule to be the facilitator, but he can't always hit those diagonal passes. Sometimes it's going to have to be Legette who also steps forward, combines with Mihailovic, combines with DK, and does the creative things in midfield because I want him to run the show. I want Cole Bassett to be involved. I want Yule to be involved. But legit, especially in this group of players, this young, mostly Olympic-eligible group of players, Sebastian Legette knows the system. He's got talent. He's got creative ability. I think he can do that job. So you can't have Bassett, though. I already. I don't know if you know how this works, but when, when, a, when a grown-up calls dibs on a young player, that, that's their grown-up <laughs> to get them. So I got Bassett. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you have Cole Bassett, Bobby. I'll just play with 10. That's, that's fine with me. I don't even yeah, need 11 that guys. Awesome. Now we're talking, no, that sounds good. Everything you said, mate, I, I like all of that. Okay. I, I maybe will come back to my lineup to contrast it with yours and compare it to what you've got, but I want to hear your, your one through 11 for this El Salvador game. Okay. Yeah. So I think the things that are going to be important to me are, are simple ball retention through the middle of the field. Um, and I think that we, there, there's a, People get a little too caught up on the ability to create. And of course, we already talked about that with Ephra. And it's incredibly important when you have it. Um, It's just not something that I would prioritize in my team. Um, So I I would look for ball retention through the middle. I would look for the ability to interchange, but not just interchange fast. But I also care more about the ability to recover the ball quickly. Like I think Brendan Aronson is more interesting, not because he he can... he can move fast in possession or with the ball, but because he's so dang quick at that moment after it can, and he's quick, you know, he's deceptively quick. And the third part is just defensive transitions. So with those three general principles in mind, um, I'm going to, to generally build out in a three, one, four, two. So I'll have Hamid in goal. I'll have long on the right Zimmerman on the left and Mark McKenzie, or sorry, Zimmerman in the middle and Mark McKenzie at left back. I will have Legette be my my single pivot on the build out, getting help from Cole Bassett. I'll have Aronson providing a little bit more of a deeper option in front of them with Chris Mueller and DK as the two highest players. Vines on the left, Acosta on the right. What that turns into is that when we press, it's the three center backs, Legette in front of them. Acosta, Aronson, Bassett, Vines with DK and Mueller as the two highest players. And then when we're in possession building toward goal, which there will be a lot of, I'll take your, uh, you know, I'll build off your notion uh, that it will be Legette and Bassett behind Aronson and Mueller who are behind DK. So DK is a lone focal point up there. Aronson and Mueller have a ton of freedom to play off him. And then the entire width is taken by the two wingbacks. Okay, so I like this. So long. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just wanted to say, I like this. I'm just wondering, is there any chance that we see this happen? Not that I don't think it's a good idea, but I'm curious. Do you think this is in Berhalter's wheelhouse? 
Yeah, Berhalter switched formations a fair amount at Columbus. He was not totally wedded to to the four three three that everyone. Um, even the way he plays the four three three with the national team is largely different than the way he played the four three three with Columbus. Um, and again, I, I wouldn't say that it's that it's necessarily that different, right? I mean, I talk about the three center backs and the build out. I mean, all I'm choosing to do is play a Walker Zimmerman there instead of what what Burhalter often did with Will Trapp dropping in, because I think Zimmerman is better in a defensive transition moment than a defensive midfielder would be. Um, you know, I also have the two players higher, even though it's you know a, a whatever three five two. I have the the two higher midfielders in the same spot, so I actually think it's largely the same, just with slightly different players and slightly different you know starting positions in some phases. I love that. The more I think about it, the more I like how it gets, especially Brendan Aronson in position to be a wrecker defensively and to be a guy who recovers in defensive transition moments, who moves around the field, wins the ball, and then plays forward quickly. Who, who, if it's Aronson or not, if it's Leggett or Bassett or even Zimmerman in that central center back role, who is the most important player for you in this lineup? Yeah, I do think that in, in when you play this way, that, that that central center back is important. For me in this game, be Walker Zimmerman. For, you know, just to highlight Walker for a couple of reasons, so good in Major League Soccer for a few years now, right? Was the clear front runner for MLS Defender of the Year for most of last year until he dropped a little bit in the second half. A, you know, Defender of the Year this year, had the multiple good years in Dallas. Uh, but I thought we saw the same thing with Matt Hedges. Matt Hedges got his chance with the national team in the Gold Cup a couple of years ago and struggled. Um, can Walker Zimmerman take this moment when he really is probably the leader on the field? Like I know that Aaron Long has more games. I know that Sebastian Legette has more games, but Walker Zimmerman is the one in this group that has more of the leadership tendencies. So can he accentuate that and bring those out in the national team colors? And again, take his career to the next level. Cause I think everyone's ambition is that he's more than just a good MLS player. I love that. I love it, Bobby. I love how you think about soccer. I love how you've shaped this lineup. Is there anything else you want to add on your starting 11 before we before we kind of wrap up here? Uh, no, nothing. I, I appreciate the conversation. You know, I'm like, I guess we probably could have talked about Kellen Acosta right back since you were too scared to put Paul Ariola there. <laughs> um, just because I do. I know Kellen played there and was it the last game of the year, Joe, for the Rapids. He played as a left back in the playoffs, I believe. So he's played fullback before on both sides now for FC Dallas and for the Rapids. Yep. So it's not it's not impossible to see him there by any means. No, he could do it very well. He played it when he broke yeah, when he broke through in Dallas. I want to say for his first couple national team games, but he has the skill set to do it. Uh it hasn't worked out at center mid, so I'd love to see someone take a chance and try and make him into an elite outside back. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. And I think Greg Berhalter, who knows, he could be that guy. He's done some interesting tactical things in the past. Bobby, we've talked lineup. We've gone position by position, touching on, if not every player in this roster, almost every player, and even some guys who I've taken some creative liberties with and shoved them into this lineup anyway. And then we gave our own starting 11s. Bobby, thank you for taking the time to join me today. I truly appreciate it. So I want to congratulate you on becoming the recruitment coordinator for the U.S. men's national team. It's an incredible honor. And you're, you know what? You're very well suited for it. That means so much. I'm still waiting on my first paycheck. I assume that's just sort of a, a business snafu. But I know you wear a suit on the top half of your body now, at least. So maybe you can make some calls for me because you look like a, a real businessman now. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. This is a great conversation. I always enjoy it. Listeners, thank you for listening. And the Total Soccer Show will be back again tomorrow. <laughs>